are listening to Any Given Sunday, a part of the Dead End Podcast Network. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, and all other podcasting services. Please make sure you check out Dead End Hip Hop, Dead End Sports, Dead End Gaming, Is the Mic Still On, Chris Platt's Strictly Hip Hop and Hoops Talk, and a host of other shows on our podcast network. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. For Sunday, March 10th, 2019, this is Any Given Sunday, and I'm your host, Manny Brown. What's up, everyone? Hopefully, you guys are enjoying your weekend. Uh, This is the second of two episodes that uh, have dropped this weekend. The first episode featuring Daryl Slater uh, was posted on Friday, so hopefully, you guys have had a chance to listen to that. If you haven't done so, please check it out. I think it was a really dope show, uh, getting a lot of positive feedback from that show. Daryl Slater provided some some good insight on the Jets and, you know, the NFL draft and some other things. So if you haven't done so already, go check it out. You guys know where to find it. iTunes, SoundCloud everywhere, everywhere. We're everywhere. Um, but, um, my, uh, my guest this week is, is someone I said on the episode on Friday that is, has been, has been someone I've been trying to get on the show for a while. It's just, we haven't been able to get our schedules lined up, but, uh, we finally, we, we finally got back in contact this week and, uh, we were able to set something up and, uh, I'm, I'm very excited and happy to have him on the show. Someone that I wanted to talk to for a while. Um, I think he's one of the best, um, reporters on, on the Lakers. He's very connected, knows the team front and back and, and is someone that I think is going to give us some good insight not just on the Lakers, but on him, um, on himself, his career, what he's been doing and how he got started and all that good stuff. So hopefully you guys uh, get to enjoy that. Um, my guest today is Harrison Fagan. He is the longtime Lakers NBA reporter for SB Nation Silver Screen and Roll. He's also the editor in chief of that site. He also co-hosts the Laker Nation podcast along with his co-host, Anthony Irwin, which you can find anywhere where podcasts are free. I've been really wanting to have this guy on for a while. We've been trying to get him on the show really since October, uh, but just, you know, he's a very busy man, as you can imagine. So we finally got a gap in his schedule and we were finally able to get him on the show. So I'm, I'm uh, very excited to have him on here today. Uh, Harrison, welcome to Any Given Sunday. How are you, man? Uh, you know, actually, yeah, normally on uh, normally on a weekend morning, I'd say not a whole lot. But because uh, normally like those are kind of our relaxed days in terms of posting. But right. actually, a lot is going on this morning with uh, the Lonzo and Ingram injury news and all that stuff. So it's been a busy morning. How are you? I'm I'm good, man. Like we talked offline, uh, I, I spent most of my morning dealing with uh, toddlers fighting over toys and dolls and things and whatnot. So uh, I don't know which one's harder, but uh, I guess we'll I guess we'll have to uh, agree that it's a wash, right? Yeah, I think I think it's probably even in terms of who had the uh, who, who had the harder morning. Absolutely, absolutely. And for those of you that might, well, by the time you guys will listen to this, you guys will know uh, that both Lonzo and uh, and Brandon are both out for the season. Um, if you want to just kind of elaborate a little bit further on the Ingram situation, because I think that one's a little bit more serious than the Lonzo. I think most people expected Lonzo to, you know, after, you know, especially after the Lakers kind of, you know, played themselves out of playoff contention. I think most people expected that Lonzo at some point was going to be shut down. Um, but I think the Brandon Ingram thing is a little bit of a, of a concern for Laker Nation. So if you yeah, to... I mean, just in case it goes the other way, the Lonzo thing isn't official yet. As mm-hmm. when we're recording this, it was uh, Chris Haynes reported that like he's expected to be declared out for the season, which kind of like it, it it jives with what Luke was saying at practice yesterday about how like he wouldn't he, he kind of implied that there was a possibility that Lonzo would be done because he said that he wasn't even close to returning to full practicing and they would still want him to do that for like a week before he returned to games full time. So like I, I think e- even without sourcing, it's probably a fair guess that. Um, 
um, that Lonzo is probably not going to be back this season. But I just wanted to note that that could be wrong before. Um, but Ingram no, no, did, did declare out for the season with uh, with something called DVT, which is deep venous th- thrombosis. Thrombosis. I think it's thrombosis. Um, but basically blood clots. Um, and that's what was causing his shoulder issue. Luke had said earlier this week that Ingram was having a hard time lifting his shoulder above, or his arm above his head without pain, which to me, like that sounded pretty serious. Yeah. Like, I assumed it was probably muscular hearing that, like uh, especially given like how long his arms are and like how much like jumping and running and all that stuff he was doing, uh, how, how much he was raising them up to finish and things like that. I figured it was probably some type of muscular thing, but this is actually potentially more serious it's at like the first it sounds like from everything that i've been able to gather over the last couple hours it sounds like it's not that serious if it's just the first time that it happens like the mm-hmm. expected treatment is uh, the lakers haven't said this but what most people expect the treatment to be is about six months on uh, or like a few months on blood thinners which is generally how they treat the first occurrence of this and during that time you can't really be active and all of that stuff because you know if you were to get cut they're like you right. have less clotting ability and things like that so usually like in in serious cases when it's not caught early it can like uh it can potentially lead to a stroke or a heart attack but like it's out by all indications are that this is not a case like that because they caught this pretty early and they'll probably be able to just get it taken care of so um you know obviously that's a lot bigger than basketball but kind of one of the things that i was trying to note as we were covering this was like you know uh Ingram wants this as bad as anyone. And so it makes it a little sadder that no matter how serious it is, that this happens while he was in the middle of the best basketball of his career, because um, like he, he had finally figured it out. Yeah. And uh, to see him go down like this, like given how hard he is on himself, how much he pushes himself, you know, I, I just like, it, even as a journalist who like tries to be objective about everything, it's hard to not feel some level of human empathy for a guy like that. Um, going through like a potentially serious health issue while he had just kind of of attained everything that he wanted yeah uh yeah it's it's really it's really sad when you think about it you know because brandon's been through a lot in in the last couple years um and he's a guy that i think most laker fans see the potential but have always been like we need to see more we need to we need to finally see it blossom and we finally started to see it blossom really in the last uh you know 10 you know five to ten games and he just really was playing at a level he was confident you could just tell on the court that he just he he knew and that's when you know when a guy figures it out when he just knows like my spots on the floor where I can, where I can shoot, you know, where, where, you know, my best spots where I can take over. I know my role in the offense. I'm confident. I know I can do my thing. It, 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 that's when you know a guy's starting to figure it out. And of course, right when he figures it out, he, he has a serious injury. So it, it's, it's frustrating. It's definitely frustrating. That, that's just how things go for, uh, for the Lakers over the past couple of years. It's like Laker fans are not allowed to have anything. Lakers fans and their players are not allowed to have anything nice. Something has to go wrong as soon as things are going right. That's just the, that's uh, in the, you know, like, I think five years, five or six years I've covered the team now, that's been like the cardinal rule. Yeah. Well, as a fan watching this team for the last five years, I'll definitely say it's been a, it's been a cardinal rule. Um, you know, before we kind of get into the season and, and, and the disaster and LeBron and everything that all the storylines, um, you know, um, a lot of, a lot of people that will listen to this probably don't know who you are or probably, you know, don't follow the Lakers that closely. So I always like to give my guests a chance to kind of introduce themselves to the audience and just kind of give a little bit of their bio and their background. So, you know, how did Harrison Fagan come to be Harrison Fagan covering the Lakers? Uh, 
So Harrison Fagan came to be Harrison Fagan, editor-in-chief of Silver Screen and Roll, which is SB Nation's Lakers coverage site, uh, through a lot of years of, uh, you know, blogging for not that much money or, uh, like, acclaim or, you know, attention paid to it. Because I started covering this team, uh, and I use the term covering loosely. I was, like, a volunteer at this blog doing, like, link aggregation. So it was like I was, like, basically compiling, like, a newsletter before a newsletter, essentially. It was, like, the day's headline for our site's readers to catch up on. Um, and I started doing that the day after Dwight Howard left. So I've never covered a like playoff Lakers team. I've never covered a good Lakers team. I'm beginning to think that I am the problem. Um, <laughs> so I started out doing that. I wasn't really writing a whole lot. And uh, eventually like I started to go back to school because I'd been out of school for a while. And I started to go back to school and I told my editor uh, at the time like that I was hoping that like, like if she couldn't pay me, then I probably wasn't going to be able to continue to do it because I was going to have to look for work or something like that. Right. Um, and she was nice enough to like not laugh at me for asking for money for, um, you know, that small little tag. Like literally, it probably took me an hour a day. I, I thought that that was like what writers did. Um, I was like very <laughs> naive to how all of this worked. Um, and she was nice enough to not laugh at me and just suggested that maybe I write a little bit um, and then maybe they could find some kind of stipend in the budget for me. And so I did. I started writing a little bit and then I started writing writing more and more and more. And then eventually I got to the point where I was like one of the most prolific writers at the site. And, uh, you know, I think I, I was, I was eventually like kind of second in charge at the site under my boss at the time, Drew Garrison. And, um, so I did that for a while. I started being a credentialed journalist covering the team a little bit in 2015. Uh, it was right after D'Angelo Russell was drafted, was my first time being credentialed. Um, and then I started covering the team on like nearly a full-time basis the next year. And so I've been, for that time, I've been going to about half their home games and uh, a lot of their practices and things like that. And um, I left Silver Screen and Roll for about a year to go to Lakers Nation. Um, and then I came back. Back to silver screen and roll. So yeah, that's been my um, my journey through my very brief journey through uh, journalism so far. Awesome. Did you ever think that you, you know, because I know you talked about the writing. Uh, did you ever think that you'd get this far with the writing part? Because I know I, I, I would assume that wasn't probably the first uh, passion when you when you got involved. So did you ever think that the writing thing would matriculate and, and develop and blossom the way that it did? No, you're you're absolutely right. I uh, I I never dreamed that this that this would be my career path and uh you know kind of my wildest dreams like when I first started out I just wanted to be involved with something I thought the site was really cool I really enjoyed the voice that it had and how they tried to kind of like add a lot add opinion to their reports mm-hmm. of like okay here's this thing that is happening what does this actually mean I, I appreciated the analysis and things like that and it was something that I wanted to contribute to I, I was I didn't really know what I wanted to do at that point I was out of school I had originally I was studying to be a special education teacher um, and so I ended up taking a very very different career path than I ended up <laughs> anticipating I, I was just a fan of the team growing up and uh, you know the fandom has faded mostly uh, now that I cover them on a day it's like work but, um, you know, I'm still I'm the, the passion that the fan where the fandom was has been replaced with like a passion for writing really cool stories and like uh, feeling a responsibility to this Lakers audience to try and tell them the most interesting stories that we can and try and keep them the most informed that we can on everything that's going on with this team, because that's what drew me to the site in the first place as a fan. 
Interesting. You know, you brought something up that, I, that I've always kind of found interesting with with writers and columnists and people that cover teams and, and sports in general. You know, you, a lot of them obviously are, are at one point or another were a fan of the game. You know, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, obviously a lot of them, you don't just choose to become a writer and cover sports if you're not a fan of sports, obviously. But um, yeah, I would say probably not. That is true for 99 percent of people. There's the occasional person that just kind of gets thrown into it and ends up being really good. at Right, it. right, right. No, I get it. But for the majority, yeah. you know, obviously they, they they have some affection for the sport, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, with you know, I've always kind of wondered, you know, how 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 hard is it to separate the fandom? Because obviously you grew up a Laker fan and, and obviously as an adult, you still have some affinity for the Lakers, obviously. Um, you know, how do you separate, you know, the fan and Harrison and, you know, Harrison, the journalist? Cause you know, it's easy for me as a podcaster. I consider myself a broadcaster. So I'm not a columnist. I'm not involved. So I can, I can let my fandom be my fandom. And, yeah. you know, when I'm frustrated, I can, ex- you know, I can, I can, I can show that with you. It's a little bit different. You kind of have to have that, 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 that journalistic professionalism when you're covering the team. But how do you, how do you balance that being a fan and I know you said it's faded a little bit since you since you started covering it but how do you balance that 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 dual role of being kind of a fan and all, but a broadcaster first so it's not as hard anymore it was really hard when I first started I actually my, my first summer league uh, being credentialed for it I remember um, I got a bunch of glares on press row because <laughs> um, I Larry Nance Jr. I don't know if you remember from that summer league but that was the one it was the game against the Sixers where Larry Nance Jr. kind of had yeah 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 no I remember and, and, like people didn't really know what to think of him at that point like he had been the kind of he had been the one draft pick where people were like okay wait Larry Nance like who and me so included me included yeah. and there was one moment in that game he blocked I think it was Jaleel Okafor but I'm not 100% sure he he blocked one of the big men on the Sixers and he blocked him so hard that you could hear the thud like throughout the entire arena and I jumped up and screamed um, and like I took a bunch of like nasty glares on press row for that because it was of course it was the most crowded game of like maybe the entire summer league that year and um, you know I didn't really I, I wasn't there with like the decorum quite yet and uh, and my boss Drew, he just kind of laughed at me and like told me he's like, hey, like you got to try and keep that under wraps. Like while you're here, it's fine if you're a fan, um, but while you're here, you got to try and keep that under wraps. And so that like after that, I was pretty good. Like there's still occasionally times where I catch myself just as like a fan of the game when somebody gets mm-hmm. dunked on really hard. You right. can't, you almost can't help but yell ooh or something like that. Um, but as far as balancing the fandom part of it, it's not as hard anymore because once I was kind of on the beat for a year or two, y- you start to it like it removes a big part of the fandom aspect of it at least for me it did because you're around these guys so much they cease to be superheroes anymore like right. they're just kind of like like they aren't your co-workers because you're not on the same quote-unquote side like you're covering them you aren't working with them but but you're working around them a lot and you realize that they're just you know like they're human beings and like i don't want to talk down to people and make it seem like other people are worshiping these guys because they're not like they, they know they're human beings and things like that but it's just it's a little different when you're around them and you get to know them as people versus just like these athletes and stuff so and then also just like the journalism aspect of it like you start coming into a little bit of the impartiality and eventually for me that kind of took over like I don't really root for wins or losses anymore I kind of I root for whatever is best for whatever I'm writing about at that time basically Um, and so there have been times where you know I've been a little bit annoyed at the team coming back in a game because I had already started writing the recap (laughs) because uh, you know you're on deadline you have to start writing and and so you have to like shift your whole thing at the end and there have been similar times where they're winning and I've been annoyed because they gave up the 
lead and ended up losing. And so, like, that's about as close as it gets for me anymore. I, I, but I, I'm still a really big fan of basketball. I still really enjoy basketball. I'm probably, if I'm being honest, I'm probably a little bit I'm, – I'm hopeful that the Lakers will get good again, if nothing else, than for my own, like, professional benefit because it's obviously – it's been better for me to cover a relevant team this year. And I'm hoping that eventually the basketball that I can watch will stop becoming so, like, eye-gougingly bad as it has been over the last couple of weeks and how it seems to always devolve over this time that I've covered the team. Um, but, like, balancing the fan part isn't that much of a struggle anymore just because I don't really find myself rooting for it. Like, there are certain guys that, you know, like, I'll, I'll root for just because I like them personally and I'm hoping they do well or I think they've been working really hard. Like, like the Ingram thing, like, a, a, as a person, I, I can't train, claim to know him tremendously well, but from covering him over the last three years – it's just really obvious that he's a guy who wants this as bad as anyone. And so like for me, I I am hoping that he comes back, has no further complications from this and is able to go out there and kill it because I think he's a good dude that like has like very genuine intentions with basketball. Um, But you know, but like I said, like the, the fandom part of it for me is mostly dead. I don't have to like stifle cheers or anything on press row anymore. Uh, That's a little bit different for my colleague, uh, Pete Zayas of uh, uh, Lakers film room. He, uh, he still struggles, and sometimes when we sit next to each other at games, it's funny to watch his reactions to various things. <laughs> and how hard is that? You know, like I've I've heard that story before about you know you know guys being in, in in press row and and you know having a story already drafted and something crazy happens a comeback or you know or or, or, or you know or any other sense a comeback from both you know one way or another you know the team that you're covering comes back or the other team comes back so you already have like material written and you have to kind of scrap it in mid in mid in mid form how hard is that you know for me like I like writing but I'm someone that has to like extremely focus on writing so like I have to, everything has to be great. You know, everything has to line up perfectly for me to just have that story and have that flow. You guys in a drop of a, of a dime have to kind of just come up with something and, and, you know, and sometimes almost deviate in, in mid process. So how, how, how hard of a skill is that? How, how do you guys, how, how, how did you, did you struggle with that at first or how did you kind of master that skill as you went along? Oh, I, w- I definitely would not say that I've mastered it. Uh, recaps <laughs> are still uh, recaps are still the hardest thing to do uh, for me and for I-, I think almost anyone. Like they're easy in the sense that you know you have a guaranteed story. You know either way you're going to have a post right. out of it at the end. Like you're going to have something done. So like it's easy in the sense that there there's a game and it will be over at some point and you will have a story. And so like it's an easy story idea to come up with and execute. But the actual part of doing it it, it, it depends on how the game is going. Like a blowout recap is one of the easiest posts that you can do like I've had it actually wasn't the Lakers but I was covering um, I remember I was covering Cal State Fullerton last year in their season opener on the road in U- against USC and I, I just kind of wanted to go cover a game at USC I thought it would be cool and so um, I ended up going on the road and covering that game and making the hour commute or whatever and I remember they were getting blown out so badly my recap of that game was done by halftime and I just had to plug in final stats like at the end of right. it once they went live but that was that was an easy one to uh, knock out and get done because like if they're a blowout you have plenty of time to write like the outcome's not that in doubt the ones that are the toughest to write aren't even the ones where a team makes a late comeback and wins be it where you have to scrap your entire prior recap where they were getting blown out the hardest ones are the ones that are close down to the wire because there's no easy narrative there like at least in a comeback you have the they had this lead but they ended up blowing it and like here's how it happened type thing or like here's how the Lakers mounted their furious 
come back to come back. Um, the, the hardest ones are the ones where it's back and forth the entire game, where like the entire game they're like within four to six points of each other. Those are hard to write because it's hard to find an angle uh, before the get, before the buzzer's over because everything's in doubt, especially if it goes down to like a game winner or something. So, you know, as a fan, those were like my favorite games to watch. But as a writer, those are like that's like the thing, at least for me personally, that's the thing you almost hate to see. At least when you're writing the recap, if right. I'm there and I'm not writing the recap, I'm rooting for a close, fun game because, uh, you know, it'll be more enjoyable to watch and there will be more relevant things to ask afterwards. But um, if I'm writing the recap, I'm rooting for a blowout all the way. <laughs> That's interesting. That's it's really, really interesting. So I, I've, I've talked to other writers before and, you know, a lot of them are, you know, it's, it's interesting because a lot of them like covering the players and a lot of them like covering the coaches and some don't like covering the players as much as covering the coaches and vice versa. So, you know, where do you kind of stand? Uh, do you like covering the coaches? Do you find it insightful to kind of get, you know, the intricacies of the game from the coaching perspective or from the player perspective? I, I, I think that you have to have a balance of both. We obviously get to talk to the coaches a lot more because they have, uh, or at least the head coach, because like in, in the NBA, uh, the coach has like media mandate or right. uh, mandated media availability on game days, three times a day, uh, at shoot around before the game. And then after the game. So like, and then at practice, the coach talks every single practice. And whereas like the players vary before, uh, like, uh, and then sometimes you can talk to guys before games, but uh, a lot of the time they're, you know, like they're often the players like, like getting work uh, getting worked on or like they're preparing for the game or they're out there shooting or whatever so like you get to talk to the players less just almost by virtue of how it goes and so I do think that sometimes that structure is why you see a lot of the times like media members especially on like the national level tend to side with coaches Mm -hmm. on things like when they are opinionating which doesn't always happen but um, it's because they're around them a lot more and they hear that viewpoint a lot more I think for me the most important thing the, the most important responsibility that we have is like when people are saying something like y- you need to see how much you can back that up. Like, because it, it like coaches can give coach speak or whatever, but you have to be able to contextualize like what they're saying using numbers. Like if they're talking about how, like, Oh, I think that we've been playing faster the last couple games, you know, but the team's pace hasn't changed at all. Then like, that's something that you have to kind of be ready for to follow up on. Or it's something that you have to note in your thing so that you aren't, like letting them misinform people through your platform. And it's not like, I don't want to make it sound like they always do it intentionally, but no, I, get it. I think one of the most important things that you can do is make sure that you're separating like what coach speak is from what like a coach speak and coach speak. When I say that, I just mean like saying the right thing, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. So like players do it too. There's just kind of like the blase cliche quotes that you sometimes get. So like trying to probe for deeper stuff than that is interesting and trying to just make sure that like you're, showing your audience whether or not kind of they're being like they're correct in their viewpoints a little bit and for you um have you noticed you know how how has it been dealing with other writers you know because i i get the i get the sense that the that the journalist community is very kind of clickish in a lot of ways um you know and you being you getting your background from kind of this the new medium obviously vlogging and and writing on an internet site as opposed to your kind of pen and pad or voice recorder guy who covered the team for 
20, 30 years on a, you know, on a local newspaper. So do you, do you find it that there's almost like a, there's, there's, I'm not trying to figure out how to access, you know, kind of almost like a rivalry or kind of between the old, the old timers and and the new timers, the new kids on the block, you know, the, the vloggers, the, the internet site guys, as opposed to kind of your, your traditional journalist. Do you find it there? Like, you know, in your beginning, you know, when you first started out, did you find it a little challenging kind of working with those guys or has it always been kind of a smooth transition between the two? I'm actually pretty lucky. I don't know if I'm just lucky. But mm-hmm. I have not found the blog like in my personal interactions with people. I have not found the like the blogger traditional media like divide quote unquote to be that vast. Um, and I don't know if it's just because I came into it while I was pretty young and I was still like a traditional journalism student. So like maybe they would have reacted differently to me if I was a guy that was like wearing a Kobe jersey underneath <laughs> my dress shirt or something right. like showing up to the games. Um, so I don't know if that would. I think that that's the type of thing that I, I tend to notice it more on Twitter. You see it from um, some of the some journalists get upset with the way that they get aggregated, and I think sometimes that's genuine because I think sometimes there are. Uh, I'm not going to name names of sites or, right, right, or whatever, but I, I think sometimes there are blogs that do aggregate things fairly out of context. And so like if I'm, you know, if I was a journalist, and because it's happened to me before where people have taken, and it's usually like no name blogs or whatever, but people have taken like some speculation that I gave that was phrased pretty clearly as speculation and run with it as report. Like uh, there was, I think there was one time I wrote an article about like, like five guys, the Laker, like the Lakers should target at the trade deadline or something like that. And somebody wrote is it like some little blog wrote it up as like I was reporting that the Lakers were interested in those <laughs> players. And so like it went clearly like I had said, like, here are some trades we think the Lakers should make and stuff like that. Like, so I understand getting upset with things like that. I do think that sometimes it is on the journalists to be a little bit more careful in their wording of things and like don't phrase something as like definitive or fact if you don't want it to get aggregated as definitive or fact like say say what you have backed up but don't say more than that or make it more clear that you're just giving your opinion or whatever and I, I think sometimes there's a little bit of anger at like and like shaking fists at the aggregators about like oh like you took this thing that I said and phrased it exactly like I did in this article um, but now it sounds worse because that wasn't exactly the way that I said it right, um, right. and so you know I think sometimes it's a little bit on both sides. Um, but overall, like my personal interaction, like I have not found it to be like as clickish as I think it's sometimes made out to be online. Like I, I have pretty good, I'm like, I'm pretty friendly with, uh, most of the like people that are covering the team on a day to day basis for like traditional media sites and, uh, as well as with like the bloggers that cover the team. So I, I don't know if that's just a me thing, but my personal experience has mostly been pretty good with that. That's awesome. That's, that's, that's really good to hear. Um, cause you, you do hear that a lot. You do hear that it's kind of a, a little bit of a divide. Obviously, it doesn't always apply to every single person. Obviously, I think but. it used to be more like early on when there was like less of an understanding that there was enough room for both. Um, right. And I think because that's the sense that I've gotten from talking to people that have been around this longer. I think it used to be worse. I think now it's you mostly only see like very very old school people acting that way. Hmm. And how do you, and and you and you brought up the whole the aggregation of of comments and things of that nature, things that you may be speculating and then people take and run with it and make it a, you know as this as its fact or something that you're reporting as it to be true how do you deal with that as a writer um you know you said that that's happened to you how how do you deal how do you deal with it and how do you try to manage that aspect of it because you know what's going to happen even even as many times as you try to word it correctly you know what's going to 
happen. Somebody's going to take something and run with it. It's just the nature of the beast. So how do you prepare for that? How do you deal with it? Or is it something that you just kind of, you just chalk it up to just, that's the game. Yeah. I mean, that's just kind of what happens. Like the, the few times that it's happened to me, it's been such a small blog that like I would be giving them more publicity just by sharing it and saying this is incorrect than by just not doing anything at all. And so like for me, I've, I've never really felt like I needed to completely address it because it's never gotten to the level where like it's spun out of control where it's like a major national like outlet aggregating something that I said out of context, which I, to be fair, I think happens very rarely that people get it like super wrong. I I think sometimes the bigger issue is that journalists like they say something and then they're like, you know, it's out of your mouth. You can't edit it. Right. And um, and then, you know, like it gets aggregated because they said, you know, like I talked to someone that was saying this. And so somebody's like someone with the Lakers is saying that, you know, so and so is like whatever. And so like and they didn't phrase it exactly like that, but that's essentially what they said. And then they're like, oh, well, wait, I didn't actually want that out there. So now your aggregation is bad. It's like, well, no, you said it and you report this so you know that's what it is and um so I, I think that that almost to me that happens more than bloggers like taking things out of context although there are like there are just twitter accounts like nba legion and things like that like some of the like yeah no i, I know seal yeah. like whatever account yeah. like theft accounts essentially or like the, the ones that will be like like chris haynes will say something about like what he thinks of how lebron has been playing and like they'll aggregate it as like he's reporting that lebron james is whatever <laughs> and yeah. you know like so they're like they're obviously they're like fake accounts or accounts that take things out of context a lot. But for the most part, I think that kind of stuff is like mostly overblown. He's trying to give you all some games, everybody. He's trying to give you all the, the, the keys to the game. Don't believe some of these fake sites, please. Yeah. There, <laughs> there are some, like there are some fake ones out there, uh, like that occasionally pop up in my Google alerts. Like there's uh I forget the name of it now, but there's one that aggregated something that um, one of my writers at my site said the other day that was like he was I forget what he was even talking about. But it, like there are just ones that will just take something you speculating on something as a report just because you wrote it. And like there, there's you have to have media literacy and reading it. Like if somebody isn't saying like they aren't either stating it as fact or they aren't stating it as like according to a source or according to so-and-so, then they probably aren't saying that as a fact. Right, right, right. So you just as a fan have to just be smart and understand that, you know, there's a difference between reporting and speculating, obviously. And, and you know, and, and a lot of times you're just you're putting your opinion out there. Like you could just say, hey, I'm, this is my opinion. I think that this that doesn't mean that that's what it is. It's just yeah. that you're saying that you think, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah I, I get I, it. I think media literacy should honestly be taught in high schools, but that's like a whole tangent for a different day. I, I do feel like that's something that is very poor overall in this country. And like that, you know, and this isn't just a sports thing. This is an overall thing. And I think that it would help people to understand the process that goes into journalism so that they're less likely to cry out fake news or, you know, just because something is an anonymous report doesn't mean that they made it up. I think there's that idea out there right. sometimes. I mean, I'm not going to say that, that never happens because we've seen throughout history it has happened before, but I think the amount of times that it happens is vastly outweighed by, by the amount of times that it's just accurate information. Well, listen, Harrison, I, I am a professional tangent uh, giver. So uh, <laughs> you, you talking about the lack uh, the the failures of education in our country is an, is another podcast episode for another day. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's been your favorite moment uh, covering this team? Um, what's been the moment that kind of stands out for you the most as as like, man, I, I remember that moment. That's that's a that's a special moment. Overall. Or yes. Just overall. Just overall. 
overall, that's a, huh. I haven't thought a whole lot about that um, recently. Uh, honestly, it's either um, wh- it doesn't have to be a moment. It could be a game, a, you know, performance, uh, you know, anything. I think my two favorite like moments that I've ever covered are probably not ones that people will necessarily expect, but um, the it was two years ago now, I think, that uh, David Nawaba got called up. Yeah. And um, I was actually – I had written a feature about like kind of uh, – like a smaller feature about how he had kind of broken out for the South Bay – or the the defenders at the time. The Los Angeles defenders was the Lakers D-League team at the time. And uh, they're now the South Bay Lakers. But um, he had kind of been – he had been like a basically a training camp, like essentially a walk-on, like a guy that they had signed. Like he didn't get drafted even um, in G-League draft. And so he had been a guy – they signed he beat out people for a roster spot in training camp and um and then he was like he was impressing everybody around there so i wanted to learn a little bit more about him i wrote a short thing on him and like how great he had played in the g league or the d league so far and then when he got called up by the lakers i did not expect it and then to see him play so well down the stretch of that season that he ended up like getting like a real nba contract about it just as like somebody who got to know him a little bit covering him in the d league and then talking to him in like nba locker rooms like i remember his first game he was like uh, he was blown away by like just the whole process of it like how they like you know they gave the players free food like before every game Mm -hmm. to how many media members were in the locker room I remember he asked me like he's like is this always like this and um you know it was like he's just a really really nice guy too and so I was really happy to see him break out the other one was um Andre Ingram when he kind of exploded uh, last year um he was a guy that I got to know really well in the D-League Uh, my first year covering it, he was somebody that I could always like, if I was working on something, I could always like go to him for clarification or to talk about someone on the team or to like, just help me either inform my analysis or give me like some, like just kind of like make sure that I was on the right track with things or whatever. And like, he was just, just again, another commonality, like a really, really nice guy. And so I was happy to see him break out like he did for the Lakers last year. And, uh, I was hoping, uh, like that he would get a look somewhere. Um, and you know, it's not too late. Like he, the, the G league is still playing the, the Lakers even still have an open roster spot. So it's not too late for him, but, um, right. you know, I was, I'm hoping to see him get a shot at some point somewhere again. And how hard is it to cover the team? You know, cause obviously this year, not included obviously, but cause we, we kind of came in with some expectations this year, but you know, how, how hard is it to come into a season knowing that you just have no chance of being a successful team? So, you know, drumming up stories, drumming up interest, you know, because part of this is also an entertainment aspect of it too. I mean, covering a team that's just completely horrible. It, it's, it's, it's an entertainment business, obviously. So, you know, from your perspective, how hard is it to cover a team? Like I know I, I have a couple friends that are baseball writers and, you know, they have 162 games to cover. Yeah, I would say the, one, <laughs> you know, it's like, the hardest job in sports media, Absolutely. I think, yeah. by far, is, yeah. like, baseball beat reporter. That's that's tough. That's like, tough. I, yeah. I don't know how they do that. Yeah, and you, but you have 82 games, and, and uh, you know, and, you know, if, if the Lakers have not been great for the last five or six years. How hard is it to, to, to you know, even yourself? I mean, you're human. You know, you you got to come to the, to the arena every night and, like, oh, God, we got blown out again, especially those lean years. Um, how, how hard is that for you? you as a writer in your time how, how hard have you found that to be that aspect of the I job actually, to, to be honest i think this is different from a lot of people because i think a lot of people and like myself included ultimately because i know it's better for me personally to cover a relevant team um at the same time 
when they were bad, um, the access was a little better just because it, they were less overflowing with media. Like, this isn't a criticism of the Lakers. This is just, like, if they're having to credential people for a LeBron James team versus, like, a lottery team. Like, you're just – on a lottery team, you're going to get more access just because, like, it, it, you're, there's going to be less of a horde of media to compete with, to, like, talk to people and all that stuff. And so, like, for me, the games obviously were not great. And so, like, it, you don't get to write a lot of – really interesting game stories because it's often like, oh, well, the Lakers lost again. Um, and so, you know, that aspect of it was not the easiest. But, like, as far as getting stories, like, I always just tried to find, like, weird, interesting stories that I thought people – I was that I was like, okay, I'm interested in this. I think other people would be too. And just try and find, like, things to inform people about, like, either how a guy's developing, you know, over the course of the season, how, um, you know, like, uh, what kind of rituals the team's bench has used to bond while they're, like, playing, like, one of the best benches in the league, that Lou Williams, Larry Nance. Jr., Tark, Black, Brandon Ingram, um, and I'm blanking on who the last member of that bench was that a couple of years ago, but they were, I think it was Clarkson. Um, they, they were really, really good. And um, so, like, writing about stuff like that, like, little little successes within the overall failure is, like, one angle. And doing stuff like, you know, like, finding those stories on David Nwaba and Andre Ingram was, um, you know, stuff that I'm still, to this day, like, really proud of. Um, and then just, like, you know, just trying to find interesting weird quirky stories um was basically like how i tried to go about it i was like okay i'm not going to treat this team as if they're like this is probably going to sound harsh but like as if they're a real nba basketball team like i'm not going to treat them like okay every win or loss is what people what matters to people because it's not it wasn't what matters that mattered to our viewer like our viewers wanted to know overall like okay how is d'angelo russell developing so far how is you know like lonzo ball doing like throughout like what what where has his trend line been going and stuff like that so like you know like what what's behind kyle kuzma's breakout as like this kind of unforeseen um first team all rookie type guy so like just trying to find little stories on the successes within the overall failure was how i tried to approach it i hope that kind of answered the question no it did it, it did and that's insightful because i mean i've always kind of i've always wondered that aspect of the job because i mean it, it must be tough to just cover a team i mean i can't imagine covering a team that's in a, a perennial loser like you know, I, I just can't imagine it's weird to consider the lakers that because when i was a fan like they were they were always good they were yeah good every absolutely year. i think they've missed the playoffs now over these last like five years I think more than they had in franchise history before that, and so it's it's been kind of crazy to cover the Lakers and see how the perception has shifted of their team. Yeah, no, you're you're talking to a diehard fan, so it's definitely you know because even as a fan, you know everybody assumes that oh well, you're a Laker fan, what do you really have to struggle with? You know, what, I'm like, yeah, the last couple of years have been have been rough. They've been yeah. they've been rough. They've been rough. Um, you're an editor now, and so you're kind of the, the the head honcho of your site, you know. So you're yes. the guy that is is in a lot of ways, you know, putting your imprint on a lot of the guys that you that you're over. You know, you're 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 basically the the first line of defense in a lot of ways to the stories that they put out. And and do you, as an editor, is it hard to do your job? Because part of the, being an editor is also being a writer yourself. And do you struggle with, you know? trying to let guys be their own writers and voice their own voice 
or do you, or do you, or and also being the job of an editor to, to, you know, kind of curate stuff to kind of be that last line of defense to, you know, Hey, maybe you should make that alteration or maybe you should change that a little bit, or maybe you should, you know, word that differently, or I wouldn't use that example, or I wouldn't use that, that source there or whatever. You know, do you find that hard? Because I, 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 as an editor, I would imagine that it's hard to, to kind of, to play that role and also be a writer yourself and also think it's like a parent, you know, you, you, you're trying to be a parent to a teenager, but also try to remember like you're a teenager too. So it's like balancing that, that it's a balancing act in a lot of ways. Do you, do you struggle with that at times? So I'm, I'm actually really, really lucky in that I have like a, I was able to, SB Nation was able to invest in this site to the level that I have like a tremendously talented and like are probably overqualified for their current role staff. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I try to give them a lot of rope to kind of write their thoughts and pursue stories that are interesting to them and things like that. While also at the same time coming up with story idea, because one of the biggest ways that I see my role is like setting my writers up for success. So it's not just editing them, although. So that's part of it. Like part of it is, you know, the examples that you gave saying, hey, maybe this example doesn't really work here or let's clean up this phrasing a little bit or whatever. Um, but a big part of it for me is like trying to find uh, try like after games. A big part of what I do is I transcribe all these interviews and mm -hmm. I divvy them up into various stories that people can claim. And so like I set them up with like, OK, here's your headline. Here's the quotes that you need for this story. Now you just have to go write it. And so like sometimes they will and then sometimes they will pitch me on certain angles that they want to write or certain story like comments that they thought were interesting that they'd like to write a story about and so there's give and take there but like for me the the you know it, it's not like parenting at all in the sense that you know I, i've done parenting editing which is when you're the managing editor of a school newspaper uh which i did last year at the at the daily titan cal state fullerton's student paper and like that was editing where like you're constantly having to like fix things and whatever because people are just a lot less experienced and this isn't to take shots at any individual person or whatever it's just like that's how it was and people needed to be um taught a little bit more because it's a student learning environment here like yes i'm trying to help my writers be better but it's just different like because they're just the level of talent is just higher because um like these are people that are professionals and they're people that have worked in this field at other outlets and things like that. And so like, I'm trying to help them be better every single day, but they're already pretty good to start with. And so it makes my job a lot easier on that front. So like the, I would say the biggest struggle is just like sometimes finding enough time to write for myself while also doing everything else that, um, you know, is required to keep the site running and keep everyone else on track. How do you like podcasting? I do like podcasting. I miss doing it. Uh, I, sometimes I miss doing it daily. I used to, which is what I used to do mm -hmm. um, at the when I was the co-host of Locked On Lakers. Now I, I co-host a podcast once a week called The Lake Show on Silver Screen and Rolls Podcast Network. So I, I do really like podcasting. I feel like it's a way to connect with listeners in a way that I can't really in my writing, and no one really can in their writing because you're talking directly to people. It's like having a conversation with your friends, right. and like I know that I feel that way when I'm listening to my favorite podcasts and. And so, like, it's just a way to give deeper context to things and kind of talk about with people about, you know, what, like, why we think that a certain story is meaningful or all that stuff, like, that you just don't really get to do when you're writing. And so I, I do, I do really enjoy podcasting. And before we kind of transition over to the team, uh, what's the best advice that you ever received? You know, it could have been, you know, as recently as this week. It could have been, you know, first starting out. What's the best advice that you've ever received in, in starting your career? 
I think the best advice that I ever got, though, the advice that has stuck with me the most is uh, from Matt Moore, who uh, is now with the Action Network. Uh, he used to do CBS Sports and uh, other various other websites. Um, but I remember he told me once that, like, the, the best thing that an aggregator should be doing is adding value to stories so that you're not just taking someone else's report and just, like, basically ripping their headline and stealing their clicks for no reason. Right. You want to give people a de- – so, like, if you're not reporting information firsthand, like you're not like so uh, for example with the Lonzo thing that I wrote about earlier like where Chris Haynes reported that he was likely done for the season I'm not just going to take Chris Haynes report and then just be like all right here's this Chris Haynes tweet and I'm done for the day Um, uh, like I want to give some deeper meaning beyond that stuff like so I wrote about how the Lakers defense has completely cratered without Lonzo and used a bunch of metrics to show like how valuable he's been to the team defensively and so it's like trying to try i think the best advice that i've ever gotten is trying to find some angle that's deeper than just the information and tell people really okay what does this mean and that's been the that's been how i've had the most success and then just like there are certain things where like i wrote earlier this week about the pelicans and lakers leaks and how both of them are anonymously leaking that they weren't the ones leaking the anthony davis (laughs) leaks um like very very uh leakception type stuff and so i was just trying to contextualize like the lakers leak that they felt like these other teams were like essentially being unfair and like trying to being out to get them. And I was like, okay, well like, duh, like these other teams aren't your friends. Like they're trying to compete against you. They're trying, of course they're trying to take advantage of you and make you look bad in the media. That's how this goes. And so like I wrote about different ways that the Lakers could have played the media game, different reasons that other teams may not like them as much. And just tried to give our viewers like a deeper thing so that it's not just this outcry of like where they're just taking these reports as like, Oh yes. Like it all is fake news and the media and the other teams are really out to get us. It's like, no, okay. The Lakers have done some things. Like the way that they've approached a lot of these superstars and trade sagas and stuff is why you see resentment for them from these other teams around the Mm -hmm. league and why you saw the Pelicans try to blow up their locker room with like a smart bomb of leaks about like just being like, yeah, every single player they offered every single player. Uh, (laughs) And then they essentially did the in the dark night when the Joker breaks the pool cue and throws it on the ground. That's what the Pelicans did through all of their leaks throughout that deadline. And it worked and the Lakers got played. So like I I understand that they're mad about that, but they uh, there you also have to know that there are reasons for that it's not just because like oh like count the rings the lakers have 16 banners they're just jealous it's like no it's the lakers have gotten caught tampering i i hesitate to say twice because the tampering fine that magic got on Giannis was the dumbest tampering fine in nba history but they've gotten tampering they've gotten caught tampering with paul george like without a doubt and you know like the, there has been there have been inferences that that is what had happened with Anthony Davis which are inferences that are going to happen whenever you have your star player sharing an agent with another star player who is seemingly trying to force his way to the Lakers and so there are a lot of reasons for this stuff so like just trying to find any way that I can whether it's stats or whether it's like media literacy or whatever it is to add value to a story beyond just here's what this report says and if a if a young college kid, and I know you you did some uh, some editing at uh, Cal State Fullerton, but you know if, what's the best advice you could give somebody out, somebody starting, you know, whether they want to transition to vlogging, to doing traditional media, what's the best advice that you in in your career so far can give someone starting out? Whatever you want to do, do a lot of it. Like if you want to write, write a lot. 
if you want to, even if it's just on your own personal blog, like just like if you don't like, I understand people saying that you shouldn't work for free. For me personally, I have re- I would not have reached the point that I've reached without writing for free. So I see both sides of that argument. Although I do think that you should be trying to get paid for every single thing that you write because if you're writing for free, like you do on on some level, you're devaluing what people do for money. But at the same time, I also like for a lot of people, that's their only way to get their foot in the door. Absolutely. And so like I. I see both sides of it. Like, I just don't think that you should do it forever. And like, like don't let people take advantage of you. If you start to feel like you're being taken advantage of, you you shouldn't do that. Like if you feel like they're just straight up, just passing you over for money, then like you shouldn't work at that place anymore. But if like, if it's a place with a decent platform, that's giving you an opportunity to get published and get in front of people, that is an opportunity, but only to some degree, like on some level, you also need to know where to draw the line and start taking money to write. So like, again, I see both sides of it, but if you want to write, if you want a podcast, If you want to be on camera and be a broadcaster, if you want to edit video, whatever you're doing, do a lot of it because most likely you're not going to be good at it. Start. You might be better than the average person when they start, but you're not going to be good with every single person that like, like look at any writer that you think is good. Look at any podcaster, video producer, whatever, like that you think is good and go back to their earlier work. Like if it's out there and it's published online, I guarantee you it's not as good as what they're doing now. And it's because this is cliche, but practice makes perfect. I was a terrible writer when I started writing. Like, I was probably a better writer than like your average college student that wrote like essays for class and stuff. But I was not a good writer on the standard of like covering a team and being a credentialed writer. I, I would have been awful by that comparison. So I needed to write a lot to get to the level where I am now, where I am like, you know, adequate at, the, at this. And so that's the best thing. That's the best advice that I give. Like, obviously don't sacrifice your mental health. Don't overwork yourself, all that stuff, but you got to work hard. You, you have to, you have to write a lot. You have to podcast a lot. You have to do whatever it is that you want to do, do a lot of it. And for me, I just tried to be as versatile as possible. I tried to get reps at podcasting, being on camera, writing, whatever it was, because I wanted whatever opportunity that I got next, a social media, whatever, I, I wanted to be able to go and take that opportunity without being like, oh, well, I don't really have the skills for that. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's great advice. Definitely great advice. So uh, let's transition over to this team. I was trying to hold it off as much as possible because, uh, uh, God, the Lakers, where where do we begin with this disaster? But, <laughs> um, uh, you know, to be honest, I, I am shocked if people are this interested in what I've had to say previously. So I do apologize for that. Hey, but, hey, uh, hey. I, 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 listen, I've been following you for a while. I've been following your work. I actually started listening to you on Locked on Lakers. So, you know, I, if anybody's interested, I'm interested. So that that's all okay, that matters. <laughs> And that means that like that that's the angle that I've tried to take is like if I'm interested in something, it probably means that other people are too. And I do think that people are I, I think one of the mistakes that traditional media makes sometimes is like trying to act like the context of how we get quotes doesn't matter, or like painting these mm-hmm. scenes of like the environment that things happen in, or like the people aren't interested in the behind the scenes of how things happen. I think the people are really interested, especially in our like increasingly basketball coverage ravenous climate. Like people want to know. Like the stuff that I was talking about with the Pelicans versus Lakers leaks, people don't just want that information. They want to know what that information likely means and they want to read on like, okay, if this thing is leaking out, where is that likely coming from? And I try to not overly speculate on that stuff, but you can notice trend lines and things like that. And I do think that people are interested in that and that is something that I've tried to give insight into in my work. 
one more thing. You brought up something interesting that I find interesting. You know, how do you deal with the leaks? How do you deal with sources? Because I would imagine it's hard to kind of decipher what's BS and what's, you know, what's real. Um, you know, how do you take that and, you know, curate it, you know, yourself and say, okay, this is something that I'm going to publish, or this is something that I can run with, or no, this is BS. Okay. This is a guy that maybe has an ax to grind. Like, how do you, how do you curate, you know, between sources and what's a good source, what's a bad source, what's something that you're going to put out there and you're going to, you're because ultimately you're staking your name behind that as well. You know, you're, you're putting yeah, that out and, there. And I have to do it on some level, not just with my own information that I get, but also with like, uh, with reporters, like mm-hmm. they're, I'm, I'm not, Again, I'm not going to name names, but there are certain, you know, quote unquote reporters that we do not aggregate. You can go look at the stories on Silver Screen and Roll and probably take a guess at who we don't aggregate. But there are certain people that I'm just like, I do not think that this person is a reliable source of information on the Lakers or the NBA or whatever it may be. Um, and so, like, they, we have a list of stuff like that. And so that's one way that we deal with it. I think that one other thing that, um, you know, like the, the mindset that I try to take is like, I, I'm not... I'm not going to beat Woj to stories on Mm -hmm. things like that. Like I'm just not that source. Like, and I I don't think that that's like uh, shocking to anyone that has followed my work or whatever. Like I'm not Woj, but like sometimes I get information that, you know, it's like, you don't really have it well enough that you feel like you can put it out there. Like you don't feel whether it's the person that told you or whether it's like that it's coming secondhand. Like sometimes you'll hear something, but it's like this person heard it from someone else. And so it's like, do I really want to put that out there and give it the time of day? Like, probably not. Like, with stuff like that, I try to use it to inform my analysis. Like, okay, if I'm hearing something about, you know, like, I don't don't know, like, uh, about, like, the Anthony Davis trade saga, Mm -hmm. but it's from someone who's, like, second or third hand. Like, I'm not necessarily going to, I'm not going to put that out there and be like, quote, a source just told me that the Lakers offered this package for Anthony Davis. Like, no, that's not what I'm going to do. Or, like, um, I'm going to try and use that to determine what we aggregate, like, on Silver Screen and Roll. And I'm going to try and use that to determine, like, how I analyze a situation. So, like, I may not be putting, like, a league source told me da-da-da-da-da. Right. Sometimes if I write my opinion, it's based on talking to people and, like, feeling confident that this is probably what's going on. Like, if that makes sense. I'm not necessarily putting it out there as fact because I don't know it well enough to know that it's fact. But I'll put it out there as, like... I think this is probably pretty close to fact. This is my best read on the situation. So sometimes even if I'm not sourcing it, it's like informed speculation. Right. And I, and I got to imagine that's kind of, sometimes it's just my speculation. So like, I don't want people to start taking everything that I say is speculation. It's like, it's something that I've heard third hand. It's just, that's the best way that I found to deal with that. Right. And I got to imagine that's gotta be the hardest part of your job. Right. You know what I mean? Or one of the hardest parts of your job is just dealing with that because you know, it, it's some, it, and at the end of the day, you have to trust the information that you're getting. And, yeah, and, and, exactly. And you want people to, more importantly, I want people to trust me. So like, right, if I'm exactly. not sure about something, I don't want to put it out there because I don't want you to come back and, you know, at, at, at best, just hit me with the old takes exposed. But at worst, like, um, just like think that I'm not a trustworthy source of information. So if I'm putting something out there, it's because I feel like it's pretty ironclad generally. <sighs> Well, let's transition over to the Lakers. Um, where did this season go wrong? You know, in just you covering the team, obviously I'm just a fan. I'm watching them game by game. You have a little bit more, you know, 
insular access to them and see what happened on a on a game to game basis. What where did this season go wrong? Where did, where did everything flip? If you were doing a pie chart, would it would it would, you know would most of the blame go to Luke Walton? Would most of the blame go to the whole Anthony Davis saga? Would it go to the injuries? I mean, how where did this season just just come apart for you in your estimation? <sighs> oh, where do I? Start? I know loaded um, question. <laughs> uh. I think so. If you want, like, actually, my our breakdown of like the causal pie, I actually like the on the on the Lake Show, the Silver Screen and Roll podcast that Anthony Irwin and I do. We last Monday we broke down where we feel like the blame should probably be apportioned. So I don't. I'm not going to repeat all of that here. Right, right. Um, but I will say, like, I, I think that it started in the summer, honestly, with the roster that they put together around LeBron. I think that they tried to. I, I was willing to listen to the argument that like, okay, we're going to zig where everyone else is zagging this like LeBron plus shooters hasn't been good enough to beat the Warriors. So we're going to try the playmaking thing. Like I was like, okay, like the person who, you know, like I could put my tinfoil hat on and think maybe this will work. Like may, maybe they'll find something, but I think so much of that was dependent on LeBron being willing to play off the ball more than he ever has and play more center than he ever has. And we haven't really seen that, whether it's through injury, whether it's through stubbornness, whether it's through whatever, like there've been a lot of contextual factors into why we haven't seen that. And so I, I think that that's like, that's, if you want to look at patient zero, it's, it's the off season. But I do think that the coaching has at times not been great. I don't think that Luke Walton is blameless as much as I, I, I like him and appreciate him personally. I think that he's very giving with his time to the media and he really does try to actually give honest answers and assessments of what he thinks. And so I, I just, I appreciate people that are honest. I don't, I do think that there have been games like that game against the Bucks last week. Yes, I felt like he absolutely. lost in that game. Yeah. was watching the rotations and the way that things went. But on some level, like, even if the like, let's say, okay, let's go back in time, and the Lakers put together a roster with more shooting around LeBron and the rest of these guys. So they got more shooters, and then let's say like Luke Walton kind of figures out the correct rotations a little bit better, like and or, or you know like let's say they they got rid of Luke Walton and they hired whatever coach you think would have done a great job, like you the listener, whatever whatever above average coach to above average to great coach you think would have done a better job. Even if all of those things had happened, LeBron missing 18 games with a groin injury, Lonzo Ball's injury, uh, ankle injury, and the defense cratering after that, um, Kyle Kuzma missing time, Brandon Ingram now missing a bunch of time and missing time at various points this season. And like it just, you go up and down the list of like how many injuries and how many significant injuries to their significant players this team has dealt with. And I still think that they may not have made the playoffs, even if everything like the offseason and the coaching had went right. So like, I was saying this on Twitter today. I don't I think it would be a mistake for the organization to point to bad luck and be like, well, we did everything fine, but it just didn't work out. Um, and like use this as a way to just not really adjust their approach to building this roster moving forward. Like that would be a mistake. But it's also a mistake for us to like and it's and it's borderline dishonest for us to not contextualize that like, OK, this team had horrendous injury luck and probably yeah. like if, if all this stuff would have happened and even if X, Y, and Z other things had went right, this team still may not have made the playoffs just because like they're six and a half games out right now. You know, the shooters, whatever, like where does that get them? Does that get them within two and a half games of playoff contention? Okay. Even still with this current roster they have right now, are you still betting on them to make the playoffs? I don't know that I would be at this point with how many guys are down and how 
you know, injury depleted this team was. So again, I, I think the front office deserves blame for how they handled the trade deadline, for how they built the roster. I think LeBron James deserves blame at times for, um, you know, not really playing up to the level that we know that he can hit. Although I think he has been at times hampered by injury. I also think that the way that the AD trade saga went down, affected probably his stature in the locker room a little bit. That would be my guess. Again, that's not source. That's just my guess. No, I get it. Um, and the, uh, I, I think that, you know, the only people that almost come out of this clean are the young Lakers, because I think that they stepped up as well as you could realistically expect second and third year players to do. And I think it's been the veterans that have been the problem. And like, it's not necessarily like, I, I'm not going to be the hot take guy. That's going to be like, they gave up. They didn't try. I think that the Lakers just didn't build necessarily the best supporting cats. And I think that the the coaching deserves some like criticism as well but i just think to me like at this point it's like injuries are almost the biggest thing yeah i agree with you i i I would say the injuries are the biggest thing but i i I, and again i'm a fan i'm not covering the team on a day-to-day basis but i i really believe that anthony davis saga really hurt the team there's just something about it just never seemed like they recovered after that Anytime that you have, like, let's look back at the, how the whole thing started. LeBron gave willfully on the record comments about it would be great to play for, play with Anthony Davis right before, like, in the lead up to mm-hmm. it, nationally televised on ESPN Lakers Pelicans game where you know, like, he he told an ESPN reporter this would happen, and then the Lakers Pelicans game turned into commentary wise, like. Okay, what about all these trade rumors, essentially? And then all of a sudden, and then you have Davis demanding a trade directly through his agent and the rare step of going on the record. And you just have all these connections here that, like, these guys can tell that at the very least, LeBron isn't fighting super hard to keep them on the team. Exactly. And, like, you can say, okay, they're still professionals. They need to go do their job. Of course, the Lakers and LeBron would want to trade all these guys for Anthony Davis. Like, uh, sure. But at the same time, like if I thought if, if, you know, I was working for if you or I were working for a company and we found out that our employer was chasing our replacement while we were under contract. Exactly. And they were they were telling us, no, 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 be a professional, though. Keep writing and doing your job. Like on some level, you're going to be like, OK, but no, F you like like I like if you if you're going to get rid of me anyway, why, why am I going to try? You know, and I think that we saw some of that from the veterans uh, and, um, you know, t- to some degree, the kids, although I think that they've remained more bought in on defense and more productive throughout this than anyone. I just think that I, I think the trade deadline definitely did damage to this team. Yeah. And I and I, I always get annoyed and, and I've done the show and I talk to people offline and on Twitter. And, you know, that's the first thing they say. Well, you know, they're supposed to be professionals and deal with that. And it's not that easy. I mean, you know, like you say, it's it, it, no, exactly. this, this idea. It's like, you can say that. Sure. Like, that's easy to say. And that's easy for them to say that they have to go out and do that. But on some level, you're human. Like, you're, you're going to see yeah. all this stuff and be like, OK, well, they don't really want me. And different guys are going to approach that different ways. Exactly. And it's not like these these are young guys that are just bench warmers that haven't had an opportunity to play. In a lot of sense, you know, Brandon Ingram's had some success. Kyle Kuzma, look at Kyle Kuzma. I, you know, I can see, you know, if I if I could put myself in Kyle Kuzma's head for a second, you know, I'm I'm a guy that was a 27th pick. You know, any other year I win Rookie of the Year. I've proven that I can play. I can ball. And the second year, you know, the, the offseason, we were sold as, you know, we're part of the core of this team going into the future. You know, we're, we're going to be the, you know, the missing pieces to the puzzle. And then here we are in January and you're trying to offship us for Anthony Davis, who we understand. Everybody would understand that, yeah, you know, it, like if you were to inject these guys with truth serum, a truth serum and they would say, yeah, we get it. Absolutely. Like, you know, yeah. But at the same time, like if it, how, how does that allow you to buy in? Exactly. 
Exactly. I don't think it's an accident that we saw the the defense. And this is not just the young guys. This is the veterans, too, that were all in those trade rumors as well, except for basically JaVale McGee and Tyson Chandler, um, who got very, very injured and hurt at the same time. And so you just had all this stuff hit at once. I just don't know that it was possible for the team to survive that. Again, I don't think that absolves the roster construction or the coaching. I just think that, you know, this starts and ends with injuries, ultimately. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I, I think the injuries definitely had a, you know, if you had to kind of rank it one, one A, I would say the injuries definitely. And then I would probably say one A would be the Anthony Davis saga. Um, just a little bit on the Anthony Davis saga. Like, and I know it's hard because, you know, obviously you're not Magic Johnson, but put yourself in the Magic Johnson shoes for a second. Like, how would you have handled that situation better? I mean, I think the thing that's most disappointing for me is that Magic's a guy who's been around for a long time, obviously. He's a legend. He's a player. He knows how these things are. He knows how, he knows the games that GMs and, and executives play. For, for Magic and Rob Palenka to be played the way that they were, that's the part that really kind of gives me pause and concern as a Laker fan because it's like, did you guys not see this coming? Like, I, I, I don't I mean, you guys can't be this naive, this this self-involved that you didn't see this would be an aspect of this. Yeah, again, I don't, I don't know all the details of everything right. and how it all went down exactly behind the scenes. But, like, we can paint in broad strokes based on what we do know. And I think that uh, you're seeing a little bit of being an inexperienced executive. You're having two guys that have never served in their current roles and uh, very much believing in, like, the Lakers' exceptionalism mantra, essentially. And the way that they approached the trade deadlines, that kind of showed that, like, they, you know – you can say, you can complain that, like, okay, other teams are leaking our trade offers and this is destroying our locker room and da 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 da. Like, okay, but if they're negotiating in that bad of faith and you feel like they didn't negotiate in good faith, all that stuff, like, stop throwing more trade rumors at them. <laughs> exactly. Like the yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, if they're, like, if every single time you're telling them about some offer and it's going and, like, I, again, I don't ultimately know who leaked each one of these trade offers, but, like, if, if, if your complaint, so like if you're if you're gonna complain, like okay, it was them. They were leaking all of our trade offers. This is all them. We weren't doing it. Like at some point, you like if that's your excuse, then you then the, there's still criticism of you because you should have said at some point, hey, stop leaking our trade offers, or we're gonna step away. And you know, like again, that's if you believe this company anonymously reported source line or whatever that like they weren't the ones leaking about this. I'm I don't believe that, but. Um, uh, you know, if, if you do believe that, even still, at some point you got to step away from the table. Then, like, if you think that they're weaponizing these leaks and these trade offers, and like you're being so unfairly targeted in this stuff, like, you got to realize then, okay, like they're not negotiating in good faith. There's nothing we can do. You can't keep throwing more players at them if that's what's really happening. Right, right. I, I just feel like Magic and Rob just kind of played all along into 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 Dell Demps and his and his game, and and I just I was like, man, can can smarten up Magic, like understand that you're being played, and maybe and like you said, it, 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 I, I think we're so used to seeing Magic and and have success in everything he does, and we under, and we forget that you know he's an experienced executive. He's not he's not done this on a basketball level. Yes, he was a player and he was a great player, obviously, but he hasn't done this at the executive level. But you would think that somebody in the room would say, you know what, hey, you know, we're being played here. Like this is this is not going to work out the way we want to. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure that that person is in the room or that Magic would listen to them. So interesting, you know. 
Yeah. Do, are, are, have you lost faith and confidence in Magic? I, you know, as as a guy that can put this team together, um, I, I'm, I, as a Laker fan, man, I'm, I'm and I love Magic, but I mean, some of the trades, some of the moves have left a lot to be desired. I, I think I ran it for about two hours on the Zubats trade. I just did not understand that trade. That trade just just I will never understand that. Trade. That Zub is another guy you, that I really enjoyed covering and talking to. And um, like, so that one was a bummer for me personally. Um, but also, like, I, I just from just the strictly basketball perspective i did not understand that trade um and i don't think that the results since then have really borne out no absolutely was, uh, not that it was a good move so this is not just hindsight 2020 um you know what it feels like it feels like that trade was made because i think magic and rob for the first time really were getting killed in the media and we're getting we're getting heat and i think they felt like and again i don't know this you know whatever yeah take it from me but, you know, but I, here's the thing. I, I just kind of felt like they were taking heat for the media and I felt like they had to, they felt like they, you know, let's just make a move. And that's the worst kind of trade that you can make. Is no, that, that trade screamed, um, like, oh, we, uh, we got to find shooters. Let's go to NBA.com and look at the forwards with the best three point shooting percentage. Oh my and then God. give up everything yeah. for that. You know? I just like, didn't understand it. No, just it yeah, couldn't. I, I don't know. It's, Especially it's, you're yeah. you're selling Zubac when he's starting to play well. Like I don't mind trading Zubac if he's a piece for Anthony Davis or if he's or if he's a piece for another star. But you're trading Zubac for Mike Muscala? Like what? It, yeah. it doesn't seem fair. It looks like Jerry West completely played Magic. Another executive that played Magic. Yeah, or Lawrence Frank or whoever. Yeah. 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 Oh, God. Um, we talked about obviously Luke and, and him having the lion's share of the blame here as well for, for how this season has played out. Um, you know, why do you think there's been this kind of divide with the, 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 you know, the, the love for Luke? You know, it just kind of seems like ever since Magic and Rob took over, and I get it, he wasn't their guy. They didn't hire him. But it just seems like even from the beginning last year, it just kind of felt the, a buzz, you know, just kind of felt that buzz that they just were never all in on Luke Walton. And it just, and it kind of showed and it carried over into this season. So why do you think that is? Like, why do you think that even from last year, in my opinion, there was just kind of this, this, this apprehension to, be all in on Luke Walton. Well, I, I think on some level, it's uh, he is an easy person to scapegoat because he's the coach that they didn't hire, so they can say, okay, well, the problem wasn't us or our roster; it was this coach that didn't use them right. And so, I, I think that that's part of it. And I think part of it is like, from based on, and this is not me saying this. This is a bunch of reporters uh, from various outlets have said things along these lines that like Magic does not see Luke Walton like Luke Walton is not does not fit Magic's platonic ideal of a coach of like as this Pat Riley style screamer that's like constantly getting on guys and uh like that's not luke that's not his personality like luke does actually like yell at people more than you would think based on his media availabilities and whatever Mm -hmm. but at the same time like the whole um i think that's just the biggest part of it is he just doesn't recognize like he doesn't see luke walton as the like as his ideal like he, he he doesn't he doesn't look like the type of coach that Magic Johnson wants to coach his team or he doesn't act like it in some ways. And so I think that's almost the biggest thing. And then I think the scapegoating part of it as well. So and there's so that Luke Walton has made a lot of I, we should know that I'm not defending Luke, Luke has made a lot of mistakes this year. So I think that probably that definitely plays into it as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Luke hasn't helped himself. And, and I've said the, I've said it on the show countless times. It's it's getting hard. If you're if you're in the camp that defends Luke Walton and thinks he's getting scapegoated, it's kind of been hard to defend Luke the last couple no, of weeks. He, he's been he's, he's been being scapegoated. Yes, we know that. Yeah. Blameless yeah. Like, yeah. No, not, absolutely. It, yeah. This is not prime Phil Jackson like being fired because, you know, like the the management doesn't like 
like him or whatever. Like, uh, this is, this is like, or this is not like the Spurs firing pop because he was mean to the owner or something like that. Like this is, this is, there's merit behind these criticisms as well. And do you see any way that he's keeping his job? I mean, it's, it's almost a foregone conclusion at this point, right? No, I, I think he's gone like the, maybe the night the season ends or the day after. Like, I, I do not think he's going to last. So here's the inter- here's the interesting question: um, Who's the replacement? Because that's the thing you you can you can sit there. We can talk about Luke Walton, you know, another coach coming in. Who's the who's the guy? Who's the candidate that you? I mean, I got to be honest with you. I, I'm not excited about any of the guys that have been potentially mentioned. Jason Kidd, no, I'll pass. Tyron Lue, yeah, no, that, I'll that's pass. The one that I think it might be. Oh is, God, uh, it's Kidd. But, Jason um, Kidd. You know, I, I think I think Lou is a possibility. I think Lou pro- has seemed to enjoy the not coaching lifestyle, and he dealt with a lot of speaking of like the health issues that we've talked about he dealt mm. with a lot of those from the stress of right. coaching that team and uh, all that stuff with the Cavs uh, about a year ago and so like I, does he want to jump right back into the like LeBron contender grind like I don't know um, and I, I just none of the names have blown me away either who, who would you I mean who would be your ideal candidate who's the guy that you would want to see is there a hot assistant out there um, is there a coach maybe from another team that could possibly have some interest if the Lakers try to pluck him away I mean who's a guy that you would like to see maybe get a chance to coach this team I I, I put on my conspiracy theory hat and went uh, Ooh, conspiracy I, theories I love conspiracy theories yeah, go ahead come on I, I went Spolstra. Um, huh. when I was, I was on a George Sedano show on ESPN and we were talking about this exact topic. And I said, I said, I thought it could be Spolstra because he has one year left on his deal after this, you know, the heat seemed to kind of be going nowhere. And, you know, like maybe he's the type of like Doc Rivers from a couple of years ago where the Clippers made a trade for him and compensate the heat in some way. And maybe, you know, like Pat Riley's ready to do his guy a solid and send him out that way or whatever on the way out. Um, but Sedano pushed back pretty hard on that saying, like he he said that he thinks that Spolstra could be the guy that is like the successor to Riley is like the coach slash uh, consigliere mm-hmm. like for that team and so like that's a valid point so I don't know that that one will happen I think that if the Lakers could manage to do that that would be an incredible hire and um, like easily the best head coaching hire they've made since hiring Phil Jackson um, but I, I, I'm less confident that that will happen I, I think it's going to be one of these guys I, I don't think it'll be Mark Jackson I, I think Jason Kidd is uh, is my guess right now oh god I mean and, and why Kidd I mean what exactly does Kidd bring to the table Besides the fact that he's Jason Kidd, you know, what? I think that's a big part. I think he's Jason Kidd. I think he has a good relationship with LeBron. I think Magic can relate to him on the level of like we are both Hall of Fame point guards. And I think um, I, I think Kidd does fit the type of fiery personality that they'd probably be looking for. So I, I mean, again, I don't know that it'll be him. I just that would be my guess. There was like some speculation from Stephen A. Smith that it might be Doc Rivers, or uh, or I think it was Stephen A. Smith that said that. There was like somebody speculating mm-hmm. on the radio today that it might be Doc rivers or whatever i'm less confident in that given the way things are going with the clippers yeah no way no way jerry west and and that 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 team lets doc rivers goes because they know they know as soon as doc rivers becomes available he's going to the lakers i mean it's just i don't think that's going to happen um but yeah i mean i could see maybe them trade i I don't think they'll trade him either no like uh, although that would be weird for doc rivers to have been coached traded twice as a coach in his career 
That would be weird, but I, I just, uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I can believe a lot of things. Uh, that one, the Spolster thing is interesting, you know, because I, I, I do feel yeah, like Spolster. Like I said, I don't think it'll happen anymore. Right. But it, it'd be, he would be an interesting target if maybe like he wasn't in line to succeed Riley or whatever. Or he maybe for some other reason he wanted to be in L.A. or I don't know. Yeah. Any other names that kind of stand out to you? Maybe that that are not getting as much attention. Um, someone else that you maybe like to see? Maybe a hot assistant or anybody that you've kind of talked to just in your circle in the league. Um, I think David Blatt is, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't, there's no one, uh, there's no one else that I've, uh, really heard much about or like, you know, and super high on. And again, I'm not super familiar with assistants around the league. And so like, you know, like there, there, I, there are guys out there that they could go get. I just like, what about this organization and the way that they behaved over the last number of years makes you think that they're going to go pluck an assistant off someone's no. bench. Like they want a big name. No, absolutely. And that's, and that's just the Lakers way. That's always been that, you know, they're not going to hire assistant, you know, what's his face to coach this team, especially with LeBron I, James. I, I, that would not be my guess. No, yeah, unless yeah. there was like some, un, there's some, a guy with unforeseen, like knows what it means to be a Laker ties out there. Right. Right. What about the roster construction? Um, obviously there's going to be some changes in the off season. One would think, and one would hope, um, you know, do you see these kids, you know, how, how do you see this all playing out? Is this a, is this a roster construction next year? What's going to be, you know, basically in, in AAU slash all-star team for LeBron? Is this going to be more of the same? Is this going to be kind of the kids and a veterans mix with more shooters? Hopefully. I mean, how do you see this roster construction going? I, I think they're going to go for a super, they're going to try and sign a superstar for free first. Um, and like, like in free agency. And then either if that doesn't work out or even if it works out and they're able to like keep a little bit of money, like get that guy to take a little less than the max or something like that, then I, I think that you do see them go hard after Anthony Davis again and then try to surround that ro- with all of the kids available in the package. And then you see them surround, um, surround those players with, you know, maybe some shooters this time. But, um, I, I think it's going to be a top heavy roster once again would be my guess of the kids that you're training um and let's just play this out let's say that the anthony davis conversations pick up um who ultimately do you see being included in that deal obviously some package having to include lonzo i in think it. it's going to be all of them like really? unless they get the number one wow. pick or something like that in the lottery like which they don't have a great shot at right now but you know like let's just say they do then maybe you can take some people out of that package but I, I ultimately if they were throwing it all on the table before the trade deadline i, I think they're going to continue to uh negotiate against themselves this summer and doesn't it feel like you almost have to try to trade one of them now at this point because of, of everything that went down in the trade deadline and and the, the the bruised egos in the locker room doesn't it almost feel like you almost have to try to make a trade. I think on some level, yes, but also at the same time, like they, they might be able, like a summer and some talks and whatever. Like we've seen teams more fractured than this reconcile, mm-hmm. and so you know, even if they aren't ever best friends again or whatever, they aren't calling LeBron their big bro. Um, you know, like I, I don't, I don't know that you have to make a trade just for locker room reasons. I think all these guys are pretty good personalities in the locker room, and I, I think they'd be able to get over it and get past it. How has it been covering the young guys, especially Lonzo? Because I kind of feel like Lonzo's 
been beaten up a lot. And a lot of it has to be, has to do with LeVar and the crazy comments that he's made over the years. How has it been covering Lonzo specifically? Cause that's an interesting one. Cause I kind of feel like the kid is taking unfair criticism and beatings in his career so far for things that he hasn't even said himself. So how is yeah, he? I absolutely believe that. Uh, Lonzo has been really professional with the media. He has the, one of the most incredible abilities I've ever seen to listen to a question and give you just as much of an answer as your question requires. It's like he, he like reads questions like they're a defense. It's kind of incredible <laughs> and like pumps out the quote immediately. Like he doesn't like really think too much about it. He just answers your exact question and move in as little time as possible and moves on. And it's like, it, it's kind of, it was crazy because last year when he would do media availabilities more cause he wasn't hurt and whatever, like at the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. we would go through and like, we talked to all these guys and like, you know, various guys like Luke would do a 10 minute uh, post game availability. Like other guys would do five, six, whatever. Lonzo would be done too, no matter how many questions you had, because he's just like hyper efficient at uh, answering questions. So, and I, I think that he's, he's a guy like he, it's not that he's being dismissive. He will like actually answer your question and whatever. It's just, it's kind of incredible how quickly he discerns exactly what you want to know about and tells you in as little words as possible. And how has it been covering LeBron? I mean, I got to imagine that's 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 something that you, that's a little bit new to you, obviously, because he's new to the team. But just kind of covering a guy of that of that stature and 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 everything that surrounds LeBron. How has it been covering LeBron James? It's been kind of insane because of all of the extra attention that he brings and like his locker room scrums like extend almost half from his locker to almost like halfway through the locker room. And like sometimes there have been multiple games this year. I haven't been able to hear a word he's saying during his like post game thing. And I have to listen back to someone else's recording afterwards um, because it's like so competitive to get in there and get close. And um so I, it's been kind of crazy. I, you know, like, I, I think he's been pretty good with the media so far. Um, you know, like, I think the one thing that's new is like having to read every quote for some kind of subtext because like, that's how he communicates. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I, 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 I struggle with this because I, I kind of want to see the young kids develop and I, and I kind of want to see that. I mean, we've been through this rebuild now for five years and I want to see some receipt from that. And I feel like you trading these young guys off. I mean, it, it, it kind of undermines the five years of building. And that's the danger. And I think when you get into the LeBron James game where it becomes now, instead of building a team and building a roster that's going to compete for the next five, six years, you're in a, you're in this championship chasing game where everything becomes about chasing championships for LeBron and adding star player here and star player there. I, I don't know how ideal that is for the long-term health of this organization. I mean, okay, you got LeBron for another three years, but LeBron's aging. I mean, I think this is the yeah. first year where he's started to show at least, you know, how much of that is just the injury. But you know, he might I, not I, make first team All NBA, which is crazy. Yeah, when you create, yeah, when when you think about it. But I think I think anybody that's looking at this objectively, I think you know, would say you know, LeBron's shown some signs of slowing down. I mean, you know, obviously we've all seen the videos of the defense effort and and all that, but you know, like. How ideal do you think this is going forward? Like whether it happens or doesn't, and it's more speculation now, obviously, but, but how ideal do you think this is for the Lakers to be in this, in this game of trying to build a championship team around LeBron? I mean, I think that there there are pluses and minuses to it. The plus is that you're in championship contention, right. at least theoretically, they obviously haven't been this year. I, I think the, like the one drawback to that, and you're seeing some of this now, is when it doesn't go right and when things aren't going well, LeBron hasn't built up 
the like fan equity with this fan base for people to like, like you saw the other night when he passed Jordan, it was kind of an awkward situation Mm -hmm. and, uh, and crowd. And you're just seeing like in how quickly Lakers fans were to turn on him. It's because he hasn't been here. And then all of a sudden he comes here and all of a sudden all these guys that you've been telling them for the past couple of years, true or not, that are the future. Um, you're trying to move them on to get him some more help. And so I think that you have seen some people because fandom is not rational. LeBron and Anthony Davis are better than LeBron and the kids. Like, you know, but it's, it's about asset management. It's about how these guys were sold. And like, then all of a sudden you're treating them like they're nothing. And you're just trying to shove them out the door for another guy. I I just think that like, it's, um, you know, it's not idea. If they don't win, it's going to lead to a lot of hurt feelings and a lot of people upset in the fan base because they, they were invested in these rebuilds and watching these guys grow. And then all of a sudden you're telling me that like, they, they aren't going to get to be here for this rebuild that you said was coming and you're going to take a shot on building around an aging star. Like when it doesn't work, like this is the type of climate that you get. And if it had worked, then people would have rallied behind LeBron and lo- have made him a beloved Laker and all that stuff. But like, that's the chance that you're taking when bringing in a guy this late career that only has a couple good years left. It's going to be interesting. It's it's going to be, it's going to be very very interesting where the Lakers go. Not just this this summer, but going forward in the next three years. Um, Harrison, thank you for being my guest this week. Before you go, man, go ahead and plug all your social media where people can find you, where you can read your stuff, where they can listen to your show. Go ahead and plug everything, man. So you can listen to uh, my podcast on iTunes and pretty much anywhere else podcasts are uh, podcasts are downloadable from. Um, just search Silver Screen and Roll podcast, and we have our own podcast feed with like various hosts on the different days. Um, I'm really proud of the team that we've been able to put together. I think it's been great. SilverScreenandRoll dot com is uh, the website that I run, and at HM Fagan is my uh, is my Twitter handle. That's at HMFAIGEN, and so that's where you can uh, find most of my work. I'm constantly tweeting stories that I am myself or my writers are writing, uh, trying to give insights on this team and occasionally pictures of my cat. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know if I speak for every Laker fan, but I know I speak for this Laker fan. Uh, we, we really thank you and appreciate all the work that you put in, man, and uh, keep up the good work and keep up the good coverage. And uh, we hope to have you on, on the show again, man. Really no, thank, you. thank you very much. I'm happy to come back anytime. Absolutely, man. Thank you. All right, my thanks again to Harrison for joining me this week on the podcast. As always, follow him on Twitter at HM Fagan, at HM Fagan. Make sure you check out Silver Screen and Roll. It's a really, really dope site, especially if you're a Laker fan. Uh, it's a lot of great content, a lot of great writers, a lot of great stories. Uh, it's very, very dope. It's, uh, it's, it's, they, they put out quality work over there, man. So check him out. Also check out his podcast, Laker Nation. It's a dope show. Um, it's available anywhere where you can find podcasts. Uh, make sure you check that out as well. Um, okay, I'm done. I'm done. My voice is starting to give out on me. I'm sorry starting to cough a little bit and it's starting to get a little grainy and strainy. I don't know if I'm just getting sick again or what, but I'm tired of podcasting. Two shows in one weekend is enough for me, so I'm done. But um, as always, man, thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing to the show. Without you guys, there is no podcast. So from the bottom of my heart, I really, really appreciate it. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at AGS Pod, on Instagram, AGS Podcast, on Facebook, Any Given Sunday. Follow me on Twitter at The Manual Brown, on Instagram at The Manual Brown, and of course on Facebook, Manual Brown, and Snapchat and Manny Bro 15. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Don't forget to drop those uh, um, iTunes reviews. We really, really, really need those iTunes reviews. It's important for the show. It's important for us to grow and 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 
reach new listeners that haven't, you know, that haven't had an opportunity to encounter us before. Uh, it's very important. So just drop those reviews, man. It's really important. But um, I'm out of here. I'm done. I'm starting to stammer now. So I mean, I'm getting up out of here. But I hope you guys have a happy, safe, blessed rest of your week. And uh, check us out next week with another episode of the podcast. Peace.